Fighting Through Podcast 12. More coffee with Flight Sergeant Claude Reynolds. Great unpublished history. Flight Sergeant Claude Reynolds is 95 years old in 2017 and still going strong. And he's a resident of Market Town Wyndham in Norfolk, England. Claude had the unenviable role of being rear gunner in a Lancaster during the Second World War, so he's got plenty of stories to tell. This show is the second in the Claude Reynolds series, so if you missed episode five, the first one, you might consider listening to that before you hear this one. Hello again, I'm Paul Cheel, son of Bill Cheel, whose World War II memoirs have been published in hardback by Pen and Sword in Fighting Through from Dunkirk to Hamburg. The aim of these podcasts is to give you the stories behind the story. You'll hear memoirs and memories of veterans connected to Dad's war in some way, and much more. For starters today, I want to say thank you so much to the many thousands of people who are listening from all over the world. My biggest audience is in the USA, followed by UK, Ireland, Australia, Canada, New Zealand and Sweden, and Germany. The list covers pretty much the entire world. I've got one person listening in each of Cambodia, Philippines and Costa Rica, so if that's you, please drop me a line and say hello. If anyone has a photo of a relative who fought in World War II, drop me an email and we'll add their photo to a listener's gallery of honour. I'm starting up. A special thanks to Abby who wrote in recently. She listens to podcasts a lot whilst at work and was asking if Dad's book was going to be made into an audio book. The answer is not right now, but I hope to do so in the future, along with an audio book based on another memoir I've been given by veteran Wilf Shaw. But more about that another time. Abby, you've inspired me enormously and made me think about possibilities I'd almost discounted. So thank you once again. I'll get on with the show now. And for those who stay till the very end, there will be an exclusive preview of the next episode, together with the customary PS. You'll always know from now on that the podcast isn't over till you've heard the PS. And I always try to make the PS worth waiting for. Over to Claude. We're going to talk about some of Claude's flying action, right through to the fun he got up to in the Home Guard, and ending with what he did after the war, in his hometown of Wyndham, near Norwich, in Norfolk, England. There are quite a few funny stories too. I should warn listeners that there is some mild swearing in this show. Here goes, and I do hope you enjoy. When you joined then, uh, did any of your pals join with you? No. They didn't. Nobody else. No, I went on my own. How old were you when you when you joined up? I don't know. Twenty-one, two. Twenty-one, two. Yeah. How old are you now? Ninety-five. I'm ninety-four at the minute. Going on ninety-five. <laughs> no, right. I was born nineteen twenty-one. Right. How old were were your typical comrades on your flight crew? Well, they varied. I don't know if you know or not, but all aircrew were volunteers and they used to come up from uh, other ranks. They used to remuster from, uh, there was one of uh, policemen I knew, he, he was RAF police to 
air crew. Right. And that's how a lot of them were. They, they joined the rack or something, and then they remustered into air crew later on. When you joined your squadron, how did you get on the plane, or how did you join the crew that you joined? Did somebody just say to you, you're going to be on this plane? After the initial RAF training, yeah. I then went on a gunnery course to Ireland. Right, yeah. We're, we were cadets then, yeah. RAF cadets. Well, when we passed out, we were given a rank, sergeant then. We were then airmen. We got posted to our respective squadrons. Yes. Then. <clears throat> there, you, you met up with the individual people who were already pilots. Right. And you were assigned to that crew. Ah, okay. Why would that particular crew have had a vacancy? Was it because they were just... No, they were conversion offer. We were then going out to Wellington, but before that, they were they were pilots that had been probably trained oh, in Canada. Okay, so it was a freshly formed unit. They were freshly like. formed. Freshly right. formed. Do you remember the name of your plane that you flew on? Did it have a name? Oh, it didn't have a name. That was E. e. That was E easy. Right, just E. Yes, just a letter E. E easy. All right. We weren't like the Yanks. Made all up. Funny names and that. Because Dad's um, pal, Don Savage, that he was the rear gunner in a Lancaster. His plane, it was the Lily Mars, they called it. Oh yeah. And it was LL eight seven one something or other. That was its code number. He was in a, he was in five one four squadron at Water Beach in Cambridgeshire. So he wouldn't have had anything to do with you, would he? No, I was in Lincoln. You're in Lincolnshire. Yeah. Um. You enrolled in 1943. How soon do you reckon you went? You were flying on your first mission. Yeah, that must have been a good six months. I reckon I started flying on after I reckon I thought we were somewhere around about June. Yeah, but I don't know which year. No, well, it, it was 1943 clearly from this. So, uh, and what, from when you started your missions, how long? Because you did about you did 30 missions, didn't you? Yeah. How, how long would those missions have been spread over? Would it have been over about six months or a year? Can you, can you remember that? They were spread over. Which I started in June and finished in December. Oh, okay. You know, there, was, there were times when you went one night, next night, and now night after night after night. But then, then you had a lull. Do you remember the name of your, your commander, any of your commanders or officers? Obviously, Bomber Harris. No, I can't. Bomber Harris was the, the top can, man, wasn't yeah, he? he was, you yeah. never shook hands with him then? No. <laughs> never saluted him. One of the pilots was, uh, his name was Barry. That was his son. John, John Barry. John Barry, oh, excellent. Yeah. I'll see if I can look him up. The navigator's name was the same as mine. His name was Ted Reynolds, Edward Reynolds. The wireless operator was an Australian. His name was Leonard Smart. Do you know there are people listening to this podcast in Australia? Do you know how many people have listened to your first interview? 500. And it's only been up a week. You know, it's, it's going to be thousands as the years go on, Clark. So it'll be nice if these families ultimately get in touch. The barman's name was Perry. I can't remember his first name. All right. Well, surname's better than first name, so that's and, good. Um, who, who was that, sorry? What 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 was he? He was a he was a bomb aimer. A bomb aimer, right. What about the um 
And the minute I began, I can't yes. remember his but we had three or four of them. Yeah. Did any of your comrades on board get shot up? No. No. What sort of condition was your plane typically in after a mission? Did they come back with <laughs> shrapnel marks no. or flat no. marks and stuff? No. Generally in reasonable... Yeah, yeah, really, yeah. Unless they got into real trouble. Yeah, the same as I took off, really. Yeah. What What were your feelings when you went out on a mission? Was it just a job to be done and you didn't focus on the fact that you might get blown up? No, no. You never, you never, you don't think that, do you? No. You, 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 you're driving a car to die. Yeah. You know there's got to be a... <laughs> Half a dozen people killed on the road. There ain't got to be you, is it? <laughs> That's a good. That's got to be the other bugger next door. That's a good analogy, that Claude. Well, that's it. That's, how, that's how it is. Yeah. That ain't yeah. you. That's you. You just look round the squad and say how many of them aren't coming back. Yeah. That never used to be you weren't coming back. So, do you know what the statistics were for bomber command as a whole? I'll tell you. <laughs> yeah. Out of one hundred and twenty-five thousand crew yeah. that flew. And that was all nationalities, in fact. That wasn't just Brits. It was Aussies, no. Canadians. I think there were some Americans. Oh, Commonwealth pilots, Polish, French, a few French as well. All sorts. But anyway, 125,000 in all, of which 55,000 were killed. Yeah. I think it was another 8,000. I reckon the, the rear gunners, they were about one in three got killed mm. gosh yeah I think it was another 8,000 were prisoner of war something like that um, so yeah the odds were quite seriously poor weren't they yeah um, but anyway obviously they didn't tell you that because <laughs> it might have put you off your, put well, you off your aiming well printed about well then yeah when uh, just turning to the raids now how did they organise a raid in terms of number of planes and stuff how many were in your... I mean, you said flotilla then. <laughs> well, there, there was... Uh, you, you, I suppose you'd pick them up on the way. I suppose that uh, could be anything, really. Right. Up to about 250, I suppose. They, they didn't all come in the same squadron, did they? No. And yet the same airfield. Ah, so there could have been mixed squadrons and mixed Well, yeah, airfields. they were, weren't they? Right, okay. What was the biggest raid you can remember going on? Well, when you I don't know what you mean when you say the biggest. What, 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 what well, why? In terms of how many planes you were aware were You in don't the sky. know that you don't see them, do you? Right. That's pitch dark. That's pitch dark, okay. You only see about two, three. And did they Until not... you get over the target, then there's hundreds <laughs> of them. <laughs> what, what did. When you got back, did they never tell you where you'd been? what you'd been doing well you knew where you were going before you went right you, okay. you, you'd, you'd have briefings you'd go in for briefing uh, the, the gunners would go in for, to, to see the gunnery officer and, and he'd tell you all about the weather prospects what they were like over there and over here and, and what you were likely to come in contact with yeah. whether that was any way near fighter squadrons or anti-aircraft fire Yeah. sometimes Searchlights and anti-aircraft fire. Um, you'd come out there and you'd go into the main one because the pilots would have theirs and the navigators would have theirs and they're separate little bits. Yeah. The navigation officer would tell the navigators and the, and the wireless people would take the, the, the radio people. and So um, 
and then you'd come out and have a, a general, and, and when you went at the general one, you'd all go in together. Right. The crew would go in together, you'd be together, and you'd have a big map on the wall, and that would be a piece of tape would be taped on it where, where you were going, and right. the rope you were taking. Can you remember any of the names of any of the places you went to? Well, Stuttgart, we went to Stuttgart, that was about the biggest. We went to a lot of little places in France. We done a lot in France. You, you said you um, did some buzz bombs. Yeah, on them buzz bomb sites. That's the V1, isn't it? The yeah, V1, V2. Yeah. And Rocket sites in France. Also known as doodlebugs. That's it. So you did quite a lot of raids on those yeah. places where they were located. Yeah. But you had to do miles to get to Germany, didn't you? You, you had to go rope right down south of France and then across the bloody Alps and up that way. Yes. You never, you, if you could go direct over the North Sea. Ah, right, you took a roundabout route. Well, yeah. Yes. You, you, the, the, that would, uh, otherwise they'd pick you up on their radar, wouldn't they? Right. They'd know you were going, wouldn't they? Yes, yes. Or they know where at least, at least I suppose they knew you were going, but they, at least they didn't know where you were going to. Yes. That's why you went to zigzag everywhere. Ah, uh, okay. Sort of thing. Uh, they was on about their radars to pick you up, couldn't they? Yeah, they'd, they'd pick you up on the radar. They'd pick you up on the radar, yeah. wouldn't they? All right. If you were all going off the, over the north, imagine about <laughs> 500 bloody yeah. aircraft flying over the north sea. The, the English are coming very quickly. <laughs> I don't know if that was French or German, actually. <laughs> um, I understand what you were bombing was the, the underground v, V1 storage depots. That's it. I think the uh, it was quite successful, wasn't it, that campaign, coupled with the Brits shooting the things down in the air as well. I think altogether the... Well, we stopped a lot going out in London, I suppose, but they had a hell of a job, didn't they? Yeah, yeah. Well, the only where I remember is that place called uh, spelled H E I L Heilbronn or Heilbronn. Now I don't know whether that was in France or whether that was that must have been German. Heilbronn sounds German, yeah. That was the last one I done. That was December. Um, Bomber Command has undergone some criticism over the years, hasn't it? Well, yeah, that has had a lot of people, right? We were murderers and one thing and another. Yeah. But the other thing is, we're forgotten. Yeah. We're completely forgotten. I don't care what anybody say. When you talk about, to anybody uh, about the RAF, they immediately think of the Battle of Britain. Yes. And the fighter boys. Yeah. That's all the fighter pilots. They don't think of the 55,000. They don't think nothing about, they don't think no. nothing about the bomber crews. No. Well, they wouldn't, would they? I think in recent years there's been more attempts at recognition because they've, they've put a new a monument up in London, haven't they? I uh, put one of them up there. Um, to, to Bomber Command. And have you been to see it? No. Um, I saw it a couple of years back and it, it is a magnificent monument. And I think in some ways it it goes a long way to setting the record straight. So yeah, but your your view of of the bombing role, it, and I, I think to most people who are realistic about it, it was an absolute necessity, wasn't it? Well, yeah, I see, yeah, I think that, that was a big step in winning the war, weren't it? Yeah, yeah. That's how I look at it. 
when you look I at read, I look at I done my bit. Yeah. Whatever happened. Yeah. Quite amazing, really. I mean, there's a lot, a lot, a lot of us, weren't there? Yes. Yeah. Unbelievable. One hundred twenty-five thousand. Right. But that was spread over. You're spread. You've got to spread that one hundred twenty-five thousand over how many years? Um, Six years. I don't know how we compare with the army. I don't know. Well, Dad, Dad served through the entire period from beginning to end. But he, he was a volunteer, funnily enough. He was in the Territorial Army before war broke out. That's it. And then, so when war was declared, of course, all the Territorials were the first to be called up. Yeah, well, they were here. They were the, they all, that's, that's one of the reasons why I joined up. You, you, you walked about on your own, weren't you? They'd, they'd all gone. Yeah. They, yeah. They'd volunteered for the, the Territorials. Well, the well, Royal Norfolks, they, they, they all joined the Royal Norfolk. And the Royal Norfolk all got captured by Singapore. Well, they were, they were all gone, weren't they, then? Yeah. There weren't nobody about it, only salvages. And the scattering RAF, that's the, and, and you, you, you were out of place. If you walked about fit like I was, I was in reserved occupation for being out in the food chain. Yeah. You see? You, you were out of bloody place. They'd look at you as though you, you shouldn't be there. Oh, dear. So I thought, well, I had enough of this bugger. I, I went up there and volunteered. They yeah. called, but I couldn't. They wouldn't take me. Yeah. Until they decided they wanted more men, I suppose, and that. And then they put these circles up. You two can fly with the RAF. Yeah. Men in reserved occupations. I used to look and see the old circle of the I went up and volunteered and was accepted and that was it. Yeah. Good for you, Claude. Um, can you tell yeah. me about your most memorable experience if you've got one? I think the, I think the first five and the last five M- missions were, the, were, were the, the heaviest on your mind. Yeah. The first five, because you didn't know what the hell you were going into. Yeah. Especially being in the rear turret, I, I, I only saw what we'd been through. <laughs> I couldn't see what yeah. the hell was in front. Yeah. Could I? It's like facing the back on a train. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. That's it. I was going backwards. I suppose in a... In and a... I thought you to sit there and think, well, how the hell do we get through that, lad? Uh, yeah, you how, know? how did you get through it? How yes. did you get through it? Yeah, yeah. I guess it didn't give you a chance to be scared at what you and could see coming towards you. That's right. Well, then, yeah. then, 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 so you didn't know what to expect from these few raids. But once you've done five, you were used to it. You were, you were an old hand then, oh, sort yes. of thing. Yes. You yeah. know. Yeah. So that was, you just go out and jump in the aircraft and off you go, sort of thing. Yeah. But, and the last five, the lower averages was getting against you. So you were beginning to think... I said, that's my turn next. Oh. Well, do you know, Dad's pal Don, he was killed on mission number 28. Uh, so they were very close to the end, weren't they? they would, have yeah. had one, would they have had one more mission left? Because sure. I know you said you did 30 because you did yeah. an extra one. But how, how unlucky was that? I done one extra. I done 30. Uh, the, the, you should have done 20... He should have done twenty nine, because the first one, the the pilot went on his own with another crew. Yes. 
with, with a crew that had done, say, 20 ops. Yeah. He'd went, he'd go there to see what was going on and just to acclimatise him to the, whatever it was, he'd got to come, sort of thing. Yeah. And they all did that. They all went on on, on their own, the pilot, just the pilot, yes. went with another full crew as a passenger. Ah, uh, okay. See? Yes. But that counted for the rest of the crew. So you only actually done 29. Uh, right. But I done an extra one because a ray gun went sick. Yes. And the bloody pilot volunteered me to go. Ah, did yeah. he? That was kind of him. Yeah. He, <laughs> you're on the note. I said, what were you on? I don't know which, how, how. He said, because he said they want another ray gunner. And I said, you'd go. You'd have been bloody furious if you got, <laughs> yeah, got killed on that mission, wouldn't you? Yeah, you wouldn't have let them do that to you again. <laughs> so oh, that's what God. happened. So I did, I did my full whack, I did 30. Oh, did <laughs> did you, what, what medals did you get, Claude? I know you got some medals. I got three. Um, you got the Defence Medal. Um, France and Germany Yeah. with another one. I don't know, I can't tell you now. But then, then, then they issued a bar, didn't they? Right. They, they issued class, they called it, last year. Right. To the crews who were on the Arctic convoys. Right. The, the, the Navy. Yeah. The merchant, I know they had merchant ones over there with the naval one. They, they had a medal. Well, they said, there they had a medal, the bomber crew should have a class. Ah, right. And they issued it with a little class. Yes. And that's just a little thing you stick on your toe. Yes. Yeah. I think if you had a matchstick and halved it, I think that'd be about the size of it. Not, not over generous then. Uh, well, you know, Dad's cap. There were there were short of things in the war. I know Dad's cap badge was a First World War issue cap badge. <laughs> His greenhouse cap badge. I remember somebody saying to me, "That's not a." That's not a Second World War cap badge. I said it is. Well, I said it, it was definitely the one that Dad had. And then we realised in the end that um, that was common practice. They used up the supplies before they started using... Hell, they got nothing had them when they started. No, no. I know Dad was training with a w wooden rifle at one point. I had a wooden broom handle. Did you? I had joined the... the um, the home guard or something, you had to, even if you was in reserve occupation, you had to join something. Right. So I joined the home guard, you see. Ah, this was before I volunteered for the, for the RAF. Right. Well, I, I, was, I was in the home guard. Well, you never know how much bloody tricks we used to get up to there. I was guarding bloody flats. Right? Uh, that's the first time I got right. I, I got, well, I didn't get put on a charge or nothing, but I got reprimanded. Right. First time I got reprimanded. Well, <coughs> the sat. <laughs> I'd only been there. I was only there a fortnight, and I was, I was put on down these flats at night. Right. And he said, "Now, if you see a car coming down there with headlights, don't let them see your broom." No, he said, <laughs> "That'll be the orderly officer." Oh, right. Yes. Come to check up. You see, 
He said, now all you do here is you just stand there, salute him, let him go past, he'll do what he got to do, then come back. Yeah, I said, oh, right. He said, but for Christ's sake, he said, stand your attention and salute him, see? So why, well, I, I stood there, and of course he would have to come when I was on, wouldn't he? Why come these little thing with these? And the, the so headlights then had these masks on, didn't it? Was yes. Just slots. So he, why come this officer? And so I jumped to attention and saluted him and let him walk past. And he got about five, six steps past and come back. Right. And uh, he said, are you on guard? I said, yeah, with, with this broomstick. <laughs> so he said, why did you let me through? Well, I... I said, you're an officer, I, 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 I had to salute you and let, let you go through. Yeah. He said, you didn't, you didn't uh, challenge me at all, did you? I said, no, I didn't challenge nobody. He said, I could have been a German. Yes, yeah. See? He said, you should have said, Holland, who goes there? I said, well... <laughs> And I thought, I had a good mind to say, well, the sergeant never told me that. <laughs> but God, I didn't. And yeah, and I got put on charge of insubordination. Did you? The bloody officer. Oh, honestly, is it? They haven't got enough to do, eh? <laughs> yeah. Oh, cranky. <laughs> that smacks of, like, the old home guard. Don't it, it don't it. Dad's army, yeah. Yeah. You that wasn't much more than that, really, when we first yeah. joined it. They got nothing, had they? Yeah. <laughs> well, then I had to join something. We, we had railway, the rails, the, the metal, what the bloody train went on, and they bent them, yeah. so they were, they, they drilled holes in the road. I remember, uh, uh, it's just the other side of Attleborough. And we had to carry these head things, these railway tracks, and stick them in these holes in the ground. Right. And the, the, the stop tanks, I reckon, if we got invaded. Uh, yeah. All that sort of thing. Then, then, then they put me on an old Lewis gun, an old um, Pan Lewis gun. Yeah, right. you, 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 there was two of you. I was the loader. Yes. My, and and <clears throat> my brother, he was... He, <laughs> He, he was actually on the gun, and we used to go out of our lay in Queen Square, and and um, he'd be laid there, and I used to keep putting these bloody pans on and off this gun. And that, this was he a real put, gun? Uh, yeah, you yeah. take an empty one off, take an, take an empty one off, right. and put a full one on. So it wasn't a vacuum cleaner? <laughs> <laughs> there wasn't no bloody ammunition in these pans, mind. There weren't any vacuum cleaners. You never had no, no. You never had no, no, no ammunition in them. So if we I got invited, no, I'd try to throw it at them, I suppose. If there was an enemy, they wouldn't have known, would they? So you could have, you'd have had to call well, them. Well, So that, that's when this officer castigated you about the. No, no, that was in London when no. I was on the flat. Oh, right, okay. Yeah. Oh. They had a queer way of, if you're uniformed as well, they used to chuck anything at you, a pair of boots and that, then matter whether it's so you change them later. Ah, okay, yes. 
you got a pair of boots. So it didn't matter if it was the right size or not? No, that didn't mean you had to go and change it. Um, I'm just looking through you this sheet. It doesn't really mean a lot to me, but it... No, I don't. It, uh, you <laughs> finished... There's some promotions on there. Uh, IG right. and then Sergeant yes. and WO and... Um, oh, yes, it says here, 31st of December, 45, Warrant Officer. Character, VG. So you obviously got very good for character. Looks like you got VG several times. Yeah, there's not much else on here of any significance. No, there ain't. There's a lot of rubbish on there. Yeah. What was it like after the war when you when you first went home? Well, I got rid. I got the mob nineteen forty seven. Right. After you'd finished your last flight, and because that was probably a couple of years, wasn't it, before you actually yeah, demobbed? What were you doing in that period? When you weren't flying. Ah, now previous to that, they were going home on indefinite leave. Right. And they were recalling them as they wanted them. Right. If they wanted them. But by the time I got um, that far, they they'd altered it. Instead of letting us go home on leave. Yes. And then I had to go back and remuster to a ground staff job. Okay, yes, I remember now because you, you were I remustered par- parachutes and dinghies. Yeah, I re- yes, I remember that. From last I see. Yeah. Okay. So when you went, when you finally went home in 1947, what you went back to farming? Did you? No, no. Okay. I, that was a very bad winter, and I couldn't get a job until. The following March, I oh. got demobbed in December and couldn't get a job until March. And the job I got was, you know where the Wyndham Abbey is? Yes. Where the, where the Dereham Railway Line go over it, right. over the road. There's, there was a crossing hut there. I got a job there, two or ten. Right. Um, the, the on that crossing. Railway crossing. On that railway yeah. crossing. Oh, nice. And then from there, I went back up to Wyndham Station yeah. as a porter. Right. And then they, they made me lamp boy. I, I had to go climb up them bloody signal posts on there, there and stick a paraffin lamp in them. So you had to, okay, so you had to put light, put paraffin lights up. Yeah, a lot of people didn't, don't believe that. Do you know, it's funny because you tend to think of paraffin lamps or oil lamps being of uh, a bygone day but hell will you have dozens of them yeah yeah you used to have a lamp there's a lamp room on the window station you used to have to take them in you used to go out and and take a load of lamps with you yeah to each one or each signal post every week this was they, they'd last a week interestingly they used to use the same same type of lamp or technology on roadworks, didn't they? For many, yeah. many years. You had to climb there. up the ladder, up, 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 up the signal, up the up them iron ladders, what you see yeah. on on side of the signals, and, and 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 put one lamp in and take the old one out. What, what did you light them with? A match or a, did you have a spill? You lit them in the lamp room before you took them out. Oh, okay, right. And you carried them out a light. Yeah. And, and then you'd have to bring them all out of the lamp room and clean them. Right. And prepare them ready for the next week. The next week. But there always yeah. used to be one going out somewhere, and you'd have to go during the day. You'd have, there, there, there's 
such and such a signal, you know. You know, you got track, tracks around there and down the track and swap it, swap it over it. for a fresh one, yeah. yeah. So what did you do after after you did that job? I used to be there was a signalman up at Wyndham South, the name of Jackson, Fred Jackson, and um, he knew me, and of course, and he said, yeah, now I tell you what he said, you're, you're coming off that bloody job. I said, well, <laughs> what do you mean, coming off it? He said, you're too good for that bugger. He said, you've got to come in this box. Right. I said, I can't do that bugger. There's about 43 bloody levers in that. <laughs> I said, hell, I said, I can't do that. Yeah. He said, yes, you bloody can. He said, they start a course up Norwich Thorpe Station. Right. For, for, to learn signalling. signalling. Oh. He said, "Now you 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 do what I tell you." He said, "And I'll get you in." I said, "Right," and um, I said, "Well, I have a go at it." Yeah. So he yeah. said, "Right." He said, "Well, what we do?" He said, "You'll put a note." He said, "On all Allison's, Allison was the station master." Right. He said, "You'll put a note on all Allison's desk." He said, yeah. "You don't want to see it." <sighs> was he straight? He was so. And anyway. He said, you put a note on his desk. I said, no, I'm not going in there. He said, you put a note on the wind, but no bugger in there. He said, yes, yes. And he's down at bed. He has to read it. He said, now, if you address it to Norris Thorpe Station, and, and then he said, you put, you put in this letter. He, he told me how to word this bloody letter. So I word this letter to, to, to the Norris Thorpe Station, uh, re uh, um, this uh, new class they started up. Could I? I would like to volunteer to. Yeah. You know. <laughs> so he put it on on Alison says, "Well, man, he went bloody mad. <laughs> he came he, he come in there. He said, Reynolds, come here.' He said, "What made you think?" He said, "They got one you to sing about." Well, I said, "I don't know." He said, "There's several other in there." Yeah. He yeah. said, "I don't want you in there." He said, "I'm not sending that up." He said. So uh, he said, how did you get on? So I told, I told Fred, I said, not very well. I said, oh, I reckon he, they didn't want me in there. He told the bloody thing out. He said, he can't do that. Well, I said, here, that's what he done. But he said, I can't write, you can't write direct to them up Thorpe. He said, that got to go through the station master. Right. He said, now, if you put it through the station master, he's duty bound to send that up there yes. if you address it to them. Yes. That's the procedure. Right. So I said, right. He said, well, write another bugger. <laughs> another one. So he called me in again. I sent that second, I sent that letter up, he said. And he said, you don't hear no more about that. He said, uh, go back to your duty. So, right. did, you, did, you, did you not say to him, do you realise I used to be rear gunner at a Lancaster? And I, I'll, I'll have your He's already regards. done that when I close the job yeah. so anyway oh, right. so anyway um, they accepted me up Nari they did oh well, that's good yeah that's good. so I went up there and that lasted I think that course was about six weeks up there I learned the signal job yeah in a, in a signal box and <clears throat> I got posted straight away at Kettringham uh, they had a little signal box at Kettringham right 
and all there was there was a single box, and that was mine. It short, shortened the distance from one section to another. Yes. Because that was too far from Wyndham and Norwich then that day, because they, they were all manual then, weren't yes. they? Yes, oh yes. Right. Well, they had a signal box there, the side of the lowing, and all there was there, there were three cartridges on the on the side of the lowing, the opposite side, where the um, chaps lived who worked on the lowing. And uh, I was up this signal box, and uh, all I had there was a crossover. I had cross trains from one line to the other. Yeah. I then had no sidings or nothing. Right. There was, there was nothing really, so straight lines through, with, with a line connecting the two part and two roads up. How often did you have to change your signal? Well, every how time many, a bloody train told. How many times a day was that then? Well, well, how many trains went from went from from uh, Norwich to to London on this line, Wyndham, Kettingham, right. Heatherset, Norwich. Are you asking me? I, I, well, that, I don't know. There's a hell of a lot of one. But it was a lot, was it? That's what I really meant. Was it, Oh, blast, it keep... yes. On a Saturday so, morning, they were one behind the other queued up. Oh, right. Okay, so it kept you busy then. You oh, have, yeah, you were busy. You didn't have time to read a comic. You had to read a bloody <laughs> rule book. You had anything to read. You weren't allowed to radio or nothing in there. Oh, so okay. anyway... And did you, did you work for the... And road? then back to Attleborough. Did you work for the railways the rest of your life then? Or yeah, no, I took out early retirement at 62. Oh, right. She got fed up with the bloody shift work, so I, 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 I got fed up with, with all on shifts. And yeah. That was two or ten, ten or two, and, and, and a night shift. Yes. Uh, every three weeks, and so we got, I, I got so I, I, uh, I put in that early retirement at 62. Did you get a medal after that? No, I never got a bloody medal, never got nothing. Didn't get a watch or No, anything. no, 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 I, I, I paid it or pension fund, they paid me out in lump sum. Right. Rather than pay a pension. Ah, okay. I got out, I don't think there was a lot in it, about 400 quid, I think, but that was a lot then. Yes, yeah. But they took half the bugger back. Did they? Yeah. They took the difference between what I should have paid had I been in the... Because I, I opted out of the National Health Service, I think. Right. There was a lot of complications doing yes. this business. I know. I opted out of that here, of the railway pension fund. Yes. Or something like that. And that they, they the pension the railway pension fund paid me out of this money. Now the government took back what I would have paid had I paid at the National Health. Right. And they took half. Oh, so lost. So I got a couple of hundred, I think. Jeepers. <laughs> and that was all my pension gone. Did you take advice on whether or not they'd been straight with you? No, there wasn't nobody who could get advice off no, that day, no. them time to die as well. There was the union, but the Daily Railway Union were never much cop. Claude, I'd like to just finish now and say thank you so much for your time and thanks so much for doing your duty for God, Queen and Country during the war. 
and um, I certainly I personally feel a, a debt of gratitude <laughs> towards you and I'm sure everybody listening to this podcast will feel the same so um, thank you so much and thanks for sharing your memories with me that's been you ain't got that bit you ain't got nothing in there but when I done that garden no yeah when he's at the garden. <laughs> what, what, my garden? Yeah. <laughs> no, I haven't. For the record, I know Claude because he's been... Uh, he's in my garden for a while. He's done more the lawn for me. Well, I'll nip in there before Claude tells you more than you need to know about all the weeds in my garden. Thank you so much, Claude, for sharing your memories with such good humour. It's interesting because I don't think I've come across a single memoir yet that didn't contain a good dose of humour in it. And it makes me believe that this was one way these men and women coped with the often traumatic and unpleasant experiences they'd had. Thanks again, Claude, for your really insightful answers to some of my questions and for your service to king and country. I don't know if anyone spotted my deliberate mistake during that podcast, but there are some things that are just too difficult to change once they're recorded. You know, I was in tears when I listened to Claude's story about the broom handle, and at a personal level, I found it all to be quite an immersive history lesson. I hope you did too. Next episode. Another Lancaster bomber adventure. I had a pre-war pal called Don Savage. He was only 18 and a grand lad who'd been camping with me at Crediton near Devon in 1939. We'd been good friends. When he left the grammar school, he joined the RAF, becoming an air gunner on Lancasters. When he went on one of the bombing raids, he was posted missing, never to return. Bill Shield, 1994. From this small snippet of information in Dad's book, more and more pieces of the jigsaw have been uncovered and can now be shared in this podcast. The plane was shot down over Holland on the last tour of duty for its crew, some of whom have been tracked down by relatives or surviving comrades. Learn about Don's and others' sad demise. The tragic yet heartwarming story of the brave Australian, Canadian and British crew of RAF Lancaster LL678 fondly known as the Lily Mars. It doesn't get much better than this. Look out for episode 13, The Last Flight of Lancaster Lily Mars. If you want to comment on or share what you've heard so far, you can do so via the fightingthroughpodcast.co.uk website. You'll find all the links there. In particular... If you've enjoyed listening and you think other people would enjoy this, please rate the series on iTunes or your usual service provider, as doing this does help raise the profile of the podcast in the search engines. See the website for easy feedback links. And I'll always be delighted to hear from you on anything. For now, thank you so much for listening. Oh, 
the PS. I mentioned at the end of the interview that I first got to know Claude when he was younger and used to do a bit of light gardening for me. I've got to share this anecdote with you because it's about my mum Anne and Claude who were both in their 80s at the time. Now I need to tell you that mum has a condition called macular degeneration which rather badly affects her eyesight. Just one of my inspirations for doing this podcast because it means she can listen even if she can't read. Anyway, mum was staying with me for a few days and Claude was outside in the garden. Knowing who Claude was, my mum courteously asked, should I go outside and say hello to Claude? I rather mischievously replied, why, do you fancy him? Fancy him, asks my mum. I can't even see him. Listeners, I can assure you that I just chatted through this anecdote with mum to see that she was happy that I put it up because I didn't want it to seem inappropriate. But um, she's more than happy with it. She laughed at it again. And I can assure you that she's the one who's laughed the loudest at that little anecdote. So I hope you can share the humour as well. This was episode 12. Another coffee with Flight Sergeant Claude Reynolds. I'm Paul Cheel saying bye-bye now. Mm-hmm.